Welcome back to the Collegian Sports Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Joey Alberti, and today is all about the UMass women's basketball team. Sam Breen breaking the all-time scoring record in UMass women's basketball program history this past Saturday. She scored 23 points. She needed 23 points against George Washington. We're going to talk to the wonderful Johnny Deppin and Lulu Kesson about all things Sam Breen, all things UMass women's basketball. They also are now co-champions of the A-10. They won the regular season title or co-won it, so to speak, but they're the one seed. So without further ado, Johnny and Lulu, how are you guys? I'm doing pretty good, Joey. How about you? Um, hey, you know, I'm happy. We're getting a snow day, I think. I'm like fairly certain on Tuesday. Like a, a snow day, like Thursday was a, a fake snow day because that was just like an ice day. Tuesday is a legitimate snow day where we're supposed to get four to eight inches of snow. We can go outside and do stupid stuff, and I'm excited for it. I'm so worried about my car. <laughs> yeah, I don't have classes on Tuesdays or Thursdays, so the snow day factor doesn't factor in, in that way for me student-wise, but I mean, I'll build a snowman. I feel like Ella's going to pull us outside and make us build a snowman for sure. Ella, Ella seems like that type of person. Yeah. Let's get into the UMass hoops, though. Sam Breen, 23 points. I don't know the exact number of how many points she has in the UMass uniform, but it's more than anyone else. That's that's all I know. Describe, if you two wouldn't mind, just that moment in general of her getting the, the, exactly, the exact amount of points she needs in that game and what the, the feeling was like in the arena. What did they do when she scored that 23rd point? What did Verdi and or Sam say after the game? Just everything about that moment on Saturday afternoon. Absolutely. So my perspective is different than Johnny's just on Saturday because I was on color for the game. So I was actually talking to Mike Breen, Sam's father, before the game. And he asked... Not the play-by-play guy. Yeah. (laughs) Not my favorite Mike Breen, but um, (laughs) if we're being honest. But I was talking to Sam's dad and he went up to us, me and Nathan Strauss, and was like, oh, like how many does she need? Like... they had no they were so casual they like were more talking about how it's senior day and how they were emotional emotional about it being her last game in Mullins but like her own parents had no idea like they weren't counting baskets I don't think Sam was counting baskets all game like it was a very chill moment until it happened and Verdi again before um we asked him if he's like hoping that well like we basically just like let him tell us that he was hoping that there'd be a moment or there'd be a big enough difference in the game where he could like give that curtain call senior moment to Destiny and Sam. So he had went to go sub out Destiny and then Sam was two points away with three minutes left. So it was like, okay, is, are they going to, are the two seniors that built this program basically going to walk off the court one last time together or is Sam going to break a record? And so obviously he chose the route of Sam breaking the record. And then the second that she scored, I think he subbed her out. But um, I don't think quite literally everyone in Mullins knew only because there was that confusion with last week because she broke the record in career points just with her points with Penn State but she said herself she's not counting those so I think this record the one that she actually beat Sue Peters at meant more so I'm not sure everyone was super in tuned with that what that 23 point meant um or 23rd point meant should I say but I think overall to not take what else Johnny could talk about to answer your question but I think that it was more like senior day energy until afterwards 
I don't even think there was energy for the record afterwards because Verdi had already used a timeout. He didn't call another one to have the crowd acknowledge what Sam had just done. It, you said it yourself. Her parents weren't counting baskets, and Sam probably wasn't counting baskets herself. I mean, but someone that had to have been counting baskets was Verdi because he sub Destiny and Sam out at a different time. Um, but then after the game, like Lulu said, Sam said that uh, she didn't count her points at Penn State. But she also said that Sue Peters, who was the previous record holder, emailed her and that she was excited to read that. So I completely forgot what your question was. <laughs> just just the surrounding energy of the, the moment in its entirety. Well, I know that when she hit the shot, uh, Michael, our fellow beat writer, punched me really hard in the arm because that was like, he's like, that that was the record right there. That was the record. I was like, oh, cool. And then I was like, they're not going to put anything on the big screen about it? Like, that kind of shocked me a little bit. It was really a low-key moment for, especially a moment that big, becoming the all-time leading scorer in program history. It kind of just was like, oh, yeah. Like Lulu said, it's, it's senior day. Let's celebrate everyone. So would both of you agree it should have gotten more attention and appreciation overall? Um, no. No. Not really. Hmm. And because, to be honest, like, I think that Sam Breen, her and the incredible factor and what pushes her and separates her from the rest is the fact that she's able to have so many of these moments throughout the season that it's like she just wants to keep playing basketball. Like at the end of the day, she'll get the recognition for all the honors she racked up throughout the course of her like graduate year. But I think in general, I don't think it needed to have anything more because at the same time, like UMass still has playoffs left. Like there's still more important things ahead. And I know Sam would be the first to say she cares more about what the future of this team does in Delaware rather than like getting a little bit of like that hometown love beforehand. Yeah. And Verdi said it after the game too. He was saying how they have a senior night thing after this and how he was looking over Sam's accomplishments and it was a page and a half long. So it's like, this is just another thing adding on to her career accolades. Like, I personally believe that she is probably the best player to ever put on a uniform for the women's basketball team. And that was really a stamp to, like, really mark, make her, I don't know how I'm trying to say this, make her mark on the program, I guess, but she had already done that. That's very fair. That's very, very fair. Funny enough, they won that game by 23 points, too, so I feel like it... It's like a full circle moment right there. Sure. Let's get in to Delaware, where UMass will be the top-seeded team in the Atlantic 10 Women's Basketball Tournament. They face the winner of LaSalle and George Mason, who are the 8 and 9 seeds. They have the double bye. That game is on Friday? Yes, sir. Yeah, 11 a.m. Great time. They have had, I think, very convincing wins over both those teams if I'm not mistaken so I kind of want to jump to their next game which will be likely against Fordham unless Fordham gets upset who they have had a rather closer game with um what makes Fordham and UMass such I guess a difficult game to maybe predict I unless you two are, are very confident in UMass's ability but if not what about Fordham makes UMass's life difficult. 
I think that every aspect of Fordham brings out the competitive edge in UMass in a good way. I think Rhode Island like mentally exhausts UMass a bit more than Fordham does because I think there's something about the Fordham and UMass history that started, I would say, two-ish, three-ish years ago where UMass kind of flipped the corner in terms of, or flipping the, like, narrative in terms of uh wins and losses I think UMass started showing up and winning more games and like Verdi said like 10 no not 10 he, like five years ago he wanted to be Fordham like he wanted to bring in championships he wanted to win like Fordham so I think that in some ways there will never be a time in the near future where there there isn't great basketball between those two schools and be, between those two teams so I I truly don't know how to predict um the the third match with these two teams because like we said like UMass is up 2-0 against them which me being a superstitious person would scare like most people like oh 2-0 you can't lose three times to the same team things like that but last year UMass beat Fordham twice and ended up beating them again in the in that semi was it semifinals last year so quarter sem- semis yeah um and I think last year's game I mean like not to geek out journalistically, but like if I could be back reporting on one game, it would be when Sam Breen hit the corner shot in the Chase Fieldhouse in Delaware to put UMass up two after being down ten or thirteen, like late in or early in the fourth. Like that was pure great basketball, and I expect nothing less this time around. And I think that with the sort of added edge of Fordham just beating URI, it's going to be that much more competitive between these two teams. I mean, Fordham's got two star players in Dingle and DeWolf. I mean, I think last game they last game Fordham and UMass played, those two players took like 70% of Fordham's shots. So it's not even like you don't know who's going to step up on Fordham. It's going to be one of those two, if not both of them. And they're both just so talented that it's very hard for UMass to defend them. And Fordham runs a very fast offense. There's a lot of swing passes. There's a lot of people out on the perimeter. Uh... And I remember after uh, their last game against Fordham when they won, I believe, 80-79 or something close to that, uh, Verdi was, after in postgame, he's like, at halftime, I just told him to play defense, stick to your man. They, uh, I don't remember if it was like they were switching at halftime, and then they decided not to switch in the second half. Uh, and it's just kind of staying with their man because they just move so fast and their offense is so perimeter-centric that you live and die by the three, is what Fordham does. Dingle and DeWolf are the top two scorers in the Atlantic 10 also. They are a crazy scoring threat where they might not have the same one-two combo and all-around game as Breen and Sid Taylor do. I would say that's the best one-two punch in the A-10, right? I would say so. I would say so, yeah. Probably, yeah. No, and then not. DeWolf and Dingle are probably right under them. Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention, they're also the only two teams in the Atlantic 10 that average over 70 points a game. Mm -hmm. So it seems like it should be a very high-scoring game. How do you think this women... We kind of talked about this last week, Lulu. But how do you think this this women's team fares in the tournament this time around um, compared to last time around? And not even in terms of winning or losing, but just how they played in each of their games. Well, I'm going to stick to my superstitious aspect and not get, like, too ahead of myself, given just, like, I think any person's, like, oh, like, this seems so much better than last year's. Like, there's no way that they, like, won't win again. It's March. Anything can happen. I'm going to acknowledge that off the bat. 
However, what I will say, what's impressed me most about this UMass team this year is their ability to respond and adapt and face adversity. I think last year, Sam Breen pointed this out too as well, but I think last year there were humps in which they kind of like couldn't get over because there were blocks in the road where it was either they couldn't match the defensive intensity of Rhode Island or they weren't hitting threes so they couldn't find other life on offense like there were things that Verdi kept harping on that they weren't changing in the blink of an eye and I think that kind of like got them in a mid-season slug and they lost a couple conference games last year that they didn't need to lose so I'm saying that because I think that's really important heading into the tournament is that you know, obviously going into any game, you know what your strengths are, but you can only use your strengths in the way that another team allows you to use them. So I think UMass has really showed that they're able to work with whatever teams are giving them or whatever teams are doing to them. If they're going to throw in a zone, they'll work through it. They'll pick the seams. They'll drive and kick. If they're going to play tight man defense, anyone on UMass can either shoot with a contested hand in their face or they can rip through and drive to the basket. I think UMass has really, really showed that they know how to make in-game changes that will lead to productive basketball. And I will also say that all along, I talked about how first quarters were like this slow, bad kind of negative point. And I think in a way that's, that's changing for the better. And I think that's impressive too, because I mean, March more than any time is the time where you can't let one bad quarter or honestly one quarter slip away from you, which is what happened in St. Louis. So I wasn't on the beat last year, so I don't really know how they're how they fared in the tournament games. I know obviously that they won the tournament, but I don't know how each individual game went. I do agree with Lulu though. I think especially early on in this season when teams were doubling Sam right away or trying to take away the perimeter shot, UMass did have a hard time adjusting and finding a another way to kind of score the basketball if it wasn't if Sam wasn't in the post kicking to open shooters. Um, and then especially during that 12-game win streak, what I noticed was it seemed like it was a different person who was the leading scorer every night. It was going to be Destiny, or it was going to be Sid, or it was going to be Renai, or it was going to be Sam. Sometimes McKenna would have double digits off the bench. And it, it when you have a five-headed monster on offense that UMass has, I think it, would, it will be very difficult for any team in the A-10, especially in March when everyone is competing at their highest level, I think it's going to be very difficult for any team in the A-10 to beat UMass. I do think there's going to be a lot of close games. Fordham is going to be a close game. If UMass and URI end up matching up, that's going to be a very close game. But I I think UMass is going to win the tournament. But I think there are going to be some close games, but I just don't see anyone stopping a team that has five go-to players on offense. And you mentioned the 12-game winning streak. I want to get into that 13th game that they just lost this past Tuesday, Wednesday? Wednesday. Wednesday, yeah. 77-75 to St. Louis. Why did they lose that game? I also, before you answer that, I do want to mention UMass's scoring by quarter because I think it's really interesting. They scored 28 points in the first quarter, which is kind of goofy, if we're if we're being honest. That is an insane amount. 16 in the second, 6 in the third, and then 25 in the fourth. They had two quarters where they would have averaged, if it was a game pace, at least 100 points. Mm -hmm. And then that six-point quarter just to throw it all down the twins. I guess So with that, 
What was that game like? Why did the Minute Women lose that game? So, and it was one of the first things that Verdi said in post-game media. They allowed 17 offensive rebounds. And that's not a recipe for success. Um, I think, I believe it was Nathan Strauss on Twitter said that this was a trap game for UMass before the game had even started. St. Louis is a talented team. They're, I believe, are they the three seed now? They are the three seed now, yeah. They're, they're a very talented team. And, I mean, Brooke Flowers is an incredible basketball player. And they play a style that UMass has a very tough time matching up against. They pound the paint. They don't take many threes. I believe their season average on three-point percentage is 26%, or it was coming into the game against UMass. I don't remember what the name of the player on St. Louis was, uh, but it was in the third quarter. It was three straight possessions, and she hit three threes. And I believe St. Louis finished that game shooting over 40% from three-point territory, which is not something that they normally do. But to St. Louis's credit, or to UMass's detriment, more likely, they were wide-open threes. They didn't defend the three because they came into the game shooting 26%. Why would you have to defend a team that only hits a quarter of their threes? And then the problem with that, though, is they made a lot of their threes, but also when they missed their threes... They were St. Louis players in the paint, ready for the offensive rebounds, ready for the kickout, ready for the second chance points. It seemed like it was going to be a tough game, even after the first quarter, even after I believe they ended the first quarter up eight, I believe, or something like that. It seemed like it was going to be a tough game, though, because UMass was shot, like I believe, almost 60%, or they shot 70% from three-point territory in either the first quarter or the first half, and they were still only up like six or seven. So it felt like it was going to be an upset just from that alone. They were hanging with UMass when UMass was having a great offensive night. And if you have a great offensive night, like an uncharacteristically incredible offensive night where you're shooting 70% from the floor and the team that you're playing who's shooting like 45% from the floor is still only down six or seven, it's going to average out. You're going to reach equilibrium at one point. For a team that shoots 26% from three, like you said, with St. Louis, they shot 50% from three, yeah. making 10 threes. Yeah. I, I don't know where that stands for the season in terms of St. Louis's like season highs and whatnot, but that definitely plays a factor. And I know you mentioned, Johnny, how you feel UMass is going to win the tourney, but I guess, Lulu, do you have that same sentiment? And then to both of you, we talked about Fordham, but who do you think which individual team of, I would assume, has to either be Fordham, Rhode Island, or St. Louis gives UMass the biggest issues in the conference tournament? I am not going to state my opinion on if I do or don't think they'll win the Atlantic 10 tournament, but I will say... You're no fun. Is that... I know. Um, I do (laughs) think that Fordham will be the most competitive game either way, but I think that Rhode Island will give UMass the biggest trouble. And I want to reference something I said on the podcast last week, which is I don't think UMass and URI have seen each other's best basketball at the same time. And I think that when UMass lost to Rhode Island, like I'm not just saying this because UMass lost, like UMass did not play well when Rhode Island and Rhode Island did not play well when UMass won. Like there were many kind of big mistakes or kind of 
low weak points that each team had when they faced each other this season whereas I think against a team like Fordham they were two like pretty decent displays from both teams like pretty solid efforts so I think that the reason why Rhode Island would give UMass the most trouble and why at the same time UMass might give Rhode Island the most trouble is because I don't think these two teams have played the best basketball on the same court for 40 minutes. Hot take. I think it's St. Louis. I think St. Louis could give UMass the most trouble. I mean, they had a great offensive night and still lost by two to the now three seed. There's six teams in the Atlantic 10 that finished the season with a losing record. Can you, I'm not going to ask you both to guess all six, but of, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not going to make it a trivia thing. St. Louis has a losing record on the season. I was going to say, yeah, St. Louis yeah. being a three seed, like they, they have a losing record. I think the Atlantic 10, it's Fordham, UMass, Rhode Island, and then it's everyone else. Like, I think I'm confident to say that. <laughs> little little conflict on the beat here. <laughs> Good huh. thing we have a five hour drive together, Johnny. St. <laughs> Louis ten and six <laughs> in the conference, fourteen and seventeen overall. Very maybe they just had a slow start injuries. I'm not sure. The last thing I want to touch upon is with you, Lulu, and your final game at the Mullen Center. How how like I have that coming up next Saturday. I'm I, I don't know how to feel yet. But you had a very different type of last game because you've done something you've never done before with color commentary first off how was that how is Nathan your broadcast partner how was being on television like oh my goodness that's crazy yeah I did my makeup a little bit more carefully that morning (laughs) um I have a lot of things I'll try to fit into that one question because I want to make sure I do answer all aspects of that question. But um, first, Nathan Strauss was and will always be the best broadcast partner. Like the fact that he trusted me enough, he has been trying to get me on color with him for so long. And I've been like, no, no, no. I agreed. I talked to Jay earlier in the year. I said I'd do a couple games. I never did any. I thought I got out of it. He texted me. And he caught me at a good time where maybe my, like, thought process wasn't fully there. And I was just, like, in the middle of my work week. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do color for pay. Like, yeah. Um, (laughs) But in all honesty, what I'll say is, like, I'm not against doing it again. And I've always had respect for Nathan. And I've always, like, been just jaw-dropped at, like, Josh and Jacob from WMUA. Like, to have to speak about everything that goes on in the basketball game is a true talent. Like, it's not just knowing how to talk about basketball it's knowing when to say what and that was something that I just like sitting next to him as I was trying to focus on what I would say I was just in total awe awe of Strauss and Nathan sorry of like what he was doing so I will say overall the experience was great I think in the beginning I do I think there's the anxiety factor that sort of I was like oh it's my final game in Mullins like I kind of wish I could just relax but I was like it's your final game in Mullins like try something new so I don't know I would say to you Joey like with you having it like get there early soak it all in like to an outsider it may feel as though like oh it's just like a stadium you're covering like a game in. oh it's just an arena like oh it's is it like what does it really mean it being your last game in Mullins but how I viewed it is like I said this to Tori Verdi it's like 
Tori Verdi was the first coach at UMass I ever asked a question to. He was the first press conference I ever got on. Like, I joined the collegiate my sophomore year in UMass women's basketball. was the first big beat I covered. And so to think about the people that, like, we're not fans of UMass. We're unbiased journalists, but I will credit the team for making me a good journalist by giving me great basketball to cover like there's undoubt there's been undoubtedly like you can't argue against the storylines I've been able to cover I mean do we think about the first story I broke like before the A-10 tournament (laughs) my sophomore year like it's crazy the sort of pipeline and how everything's changed but Verdi's not the easiest coach to talk to all the time and he challenges you as a journalist to think creatively to think hard to think on the spot Um, and he's not always going to give you that verbal reassurance or that physical like warmth and uh it's hard to read him sometimes but I think that's really where you're able to like dig in as a journalist and be like okay if my subject didn't make an expression that gives me a implication that he thinks my question was good like I have to trust the fact that that it was and at the end of the day like I have so much of Mullins to thank and I'm so glad that Michael and Johnny have been by my my side my senior year but to think also I want to shout out Michael like he transformed himself as a writer and as a journalist on the women's basketball beat and he really stepped up in Delaware last year and I'm really excited that he has a chance to do it again his last time as well. Delaware two years in a row how how does that make you feel also side note did I have you been able to talk to like beat members media at all to Bernaya before and just see how she she's feeling about going back I mean I I can't assume she's upset about it yeah we have midweek media obviously we talked to Bernaya beforehand last year but what I will say is that Bernaya is from Steph Kuleza or Kuleza also grew up in Wilmington Delaware I don't know like who is technically closer to Wilmington but they played each other in high school they're both from the same area but Steph was hurt last tournament and so it was the Bernaya show and she put on a show rightfully so but I'm excited for the both of them to like kind of equally feel the hometown love because I did feel bad that I so I want to say Bernaya was a little bit closer to, to Wilmington based on how I think they went to like different things in her hometown like on the way and everything like that but like you said, I doubt she's complaining, but I think that I'm a little bit more excited this year knowing that there's two of them. That's very fair. I mean, yeah, like you said to me, soak it all in in, in Delaware. I'm going to be doing the same Saturday Mullins, which is going to be sad and fun at the same time, and then in Brooklyn. But it's it's crazy how the past three years have flown by, flying, wow, flown by for the both of us and yeah, it's it's sad. It's sad. But I wouldn't want anyone else to be on this podcast with me, Lulu. Don't you dare make me cry, Joey. You, <laughs> Joey Alberti is the reason I'm the journalist I am today. And I will say that. And you can, that can follow me. Follow me wherever I go next. And I believe in you more than words can say. And I'm super proud of you. And Johnny, the future is bright knowing that you're only a sophomore. And you'll be in this podcasting spot, I'm sure, one day. Talking in the new future of the Daily Collegian. Stop. (laughs) All right. That's enough sentiments for one podcast episode. Thank you for anyone who stuck all the way through. We appreciate you and we'll hopefully have another podcast by the time Lulu, Johnny, and Michael get back from D.C. Though, not D.C., Delaware, sorry. But by that time, it also might be spring break, so it's going to be tricky. Maybe we hop on a Zoom call, talk it out there. I'd be down. Hmm. Yeah, we'll figure something out. We will figure something out, especially if this team is going to the tournament. I mean, either way, we need to talk about what happened. But Have to. Thank you guys, as always, and thank you to everyone who listened. We'll catch you on the next one.